Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. For the News and Observer, I'm Danielle Battaglia, your host for this week's episode of Under the Dome. It is Monday, and I am here with Will Doran. How are you doing today? I am doing great, Danielle. I hope you are too. I am. It was a big week last week for North Carolina. Um, Huge news. We got named by CNBC as the number one state for business. And one of the reasons that we were named that is because uh, they said state leaders managed to put aside their deep political divisions to bring business to North Carolina, which I want to talk to you about. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I I think a lot of people's knee jerk reaction uh, to that was to to laugh, Um, maybe even a little bit harder than I just did, Um, because (laughs) anyone who's paid attention to North Carolina politics at all in the last what, 15 years, uh, knows that we are a pretty politically divided state. Um, However, I think uh, CNBC was right in that even though we are, you know, so vitriolic in so many parts of our politics, one area where really Democrats and Republicans have gotten along is on economic development and business things. Um, You know, obviously, we have a Republican-led legislature, Democratic governor, but, you know, Governor Cooper kind of, you know, has made a name for himself as a more moderate, business-friendly Democrat. And really, the North Carolina Democratic Party has always kind of been known as more business-friendly. I mean, you know, even well before Republicans took over control here in 2011, we still didn't allow unions, you know. Um, and that that's actually a big part of the reason why we, you know, we did so well in those rankings is because we are... I I think maybe the least unionized state or maybe the second least unionized state in the country. It's usually like us in South Carolina kind of flip flop back and forth as to who's number 49 and who's number 50. But, you know, that's, uh, you know, while it's, you know, obviously labor advocates will say that's not great for workers. uh, Business advocates will say it's great for businesses. Um, You know, they don't have to worry about, you know, nearly as many regulations and, you know, having to pay people more and things like that, which, you know, is something that businesses like. Um, But Cooper was up in D.C. recently to talk about this. Um, Well, I don't think he was in D.C. to talk about this, but he was in D.C. when the news broke. Um, And Danielle, I know that you talked to him. What did did he have to say about uh, about these rankings? Well, it was interesting. He's very excited. He thinks it's due to our diverse um, workforce that we have here in North Carolina. And he, it was interesting. I tried to talk to him about the union laws that we have. And he immediately told me that he wants to expand Medicaid, which has been a big issue here in North Carolina of late. Not exactly an answer to the question about unions. No, No. he said, that's what we need next to uh, get business here is to expand Medicaid. And that should be done in the next week or so. So he kind of sidestepped my question. And well, and in fairness to him, he said, that's not something that they're going to touch right now in the General Assembly. And so let's talk about something we can get done. Medicaid expansion. 
we had three minutes together, the governor and I. It was a very quick interview, and um, he he had been at the White House to talk about the American Rescue Plan and how it affected the workforce, which is on brand to what was going on that day. So um, he had a lot on his plate, and it was a quick interview. But yeah, that's that's basically where it went from there. Yeah, the the Medicaid angle is interesting. I've been covering that here at the legislature uh, this past year, and. Um, you know, it, it really kind of came out of left field almost, um, you know, big name Republicans who have been very strongly opposed to Medicaid for years here in North Carolina, even as most other states in the country, red and blue alike, have expanded it. We have resisted it here in North Carolina, saw a complete 180 this year um, from Senate Leader Phil Berger. He actually, uh, he, he, you know, had kind of a, uh, you know, a almost self-deprecating quote, or at least, uh, you know, self-aware quote at what, you know, their initial press release, you know, he said, if, if anybody has been more opposed to Medicaid than me in North Carolina, I'd like to meet them because <laughs> I don't think that person exists. But I also want to you know tell that person why I've changed my mind on it. He mentioned his reasoning from there. And, you know, it's, it's become a, you know, a big push at the legislature with Republican backing that just was never really there. There were always, you know, for at least the last five years or so, a handful of Republicans who supported it and who put forward, you know, conservative approaches to Medicaid expansion. But those never really seemed to go anywhere. Um, a big actually thing that killed it originally was that they really want there to be work requirements attached. And those started getting struck down as unconstitutional in other states, which then scared off support here in North Carolina and kind of died out. But with the new, more conservative U.S. Supreme Court, there's a little bit more hope that actually states could be allowed to implement work requirements. Um, so that that's a piece of it. That's not the only piece, actually. And part of it, uh, as you mentioned, Danielle, was from the federal stimulus package um, that the Democratic Congress and uh, President Biden passed which would just give essentially a signing bonus. It's a little bit more complicated, but it's basically just a cash payment to states that expand Medicaid. Um, North Carolina would get $1.5 billion over two years, which is a nice little chunk of change. I would love that kind of money. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously you said, uh, you know, uh, Governor Cooper was up there talking about that. Uh, did, did he mention that ang angle specifically uh, when he was up there in D.C.? We didn't get a chance to talk about it. Um, specific to that, he did talk about the certif certificate of need, and that's been some pushback that he's been getting, or actually, I guess, lawmakers have been getting. And so he was talking about how the hospitals basically have control of getting that passed right now. And... Um, they need to work with lawmakers to figure out their differences and, and get the uh, Medicaid expansion passed. Yeah, well, and that that is just a whole can of worms. <laughs> you know, certificate of need is is one of those things that is really, really complicated and really technical, but is massively important. I mean, it, it's worth billions of dollars to the healthcare industry. And essentially what it is, it's these sets of laws that we have in North Carolina, a few other states have them. I think by this point, most states have gone away from these rules, but we're not the only state with them. But essentially what it says is the it's just a strong government regulation on the healthcare industry. And if someone wants to open up a new hospital, they have to get the state's permission. They have to show that there's need and get a certificate, hence certificate of need, uh, to open up that hospital. But it even expands beyond that. Like if you want to 
buy a new MRI machine for your medical practice. You have to get a certificate of need. You know, if you want to open up an ambulatory surgical center where you can kind of, you know, go around and, you know, do do surgeries at multiple locations, you need to get a certificate of need. And so critics say that it's just basically gives a monopoly to big hospitals who are able to afford the lawyers uh, that can then, you know, turn these certificate of need fights into really lengthy, drawn out, super expensive court battles. And, you know, anyone who follows legal news in North Carolina sees the Court of Appeals and Supreme Court are constantly ruling on certificate of need cases. And these things drag on for years and cost tens of thousands of dollars, if not more, in legal fees. So critics say that this is just, you know, helping the big hospitals, you know, maintain a monopoly, essentially, and crush competition. Supporters, who tend to be those big hospitals, say, no, it actually helps us keep costs down because we don't have to be constantly buying new equipment, constantly you know, doing big fancy renovations that we don't necessarily need because the hospital down the road is also doing big fancy renovations um, or is also buying a new MRI machine or whatever. So they're saying this actually keeps costs down for patients because we're not consistently competing with each other and buying new stuff and raising costs on ourselves, which, you know, then obviously gets passed down to the patient. So there's two different schools of thought. Um, Some kind of free market conservatives, uh, particularly in the Senate, are very much want to get rid of it. Um, But as you said, uh, the hospitals want to keep it. Uh, The House uh, has been in favor of keeping it. And it it seems that the the governor uh, is kind of leaning that way as well. Um, (laughs) So uh, I don't know how that'll go in negotiations. You know, there's three parties negotiating. You got the House, the Senate and the governor. And if two of the three want to keep our current certificate of need laws, then Maybe that means that they're going to stay, but, uh, you know, the the Senate's got some strong negotiators, so we'll see. <laughs> There's a lot of moving parts to the Medicaid expansion because it, it's very possible that it won't just be Medicaid. It could be plenty of different healthcare reforms from that certificate of need stuff to this thing called the SAVE Act, which people have probably heard about, which uh, basically would free up uh, certain, uh, they're called advanced practice registered nurses, basically a nurse with a, a master's degree or a PhD, some you know advanced training would be able to do more without having a doctor's supervision. Um, that's also been controversial. That's been talked about. Should that be attached to Medicaid expansion or not? Um, so uh, we'll see. Uh, Cooper told you, and this kind of surprised me, uh, that he was expecting to have some sort of deal pretty soon, maybe even this week. It surprised me too. I wasn't expecting to write about Medicaid this week. Um, yeah, he, he said it and I actually asked him, I think twice, like, did you say this week, do you think that's a possibility? And he, he was really hoping for it. Um, I've sensed from talking our, our conversations with other Republicans, um, or he's not a Republican, but talking with Republicans in the uh, house and Senate that, there's some question about whether that's possible, but that is what he told me is he is really hoping he thinks it's very possible that we are there to a, uh, in the next week or so kind of deal. So we'll see. I know, uh, the legislature has a date coming up, I think on the 26th to come back. Um, I haven't heard that they are coming back, but there is a date open. So we, we could see. 
Yeah. All right. Well, we are going to take a uh, quick break right here. Um, but Danielle and I are going to be back right after that. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more on the uh, the economic side of uh, why we're the, the number one state for business, not just this Medicaid expansion side, even though uh, the Medicaid expansion is really the, you know, the, the forward looking news. Uh, but we're going to talk about, you know, a little bit more of the economic side when we come back from the break. So stay tuned for that. We are back and we want to go into the economic side of this news that came out this week of the uh, announcement from CNBC that we are number one in the country for business. And so talk to me a little bit about that, Will, and what you know. Well, it was a big focus of the state budget uh, recently that just passed. Actually, it was it was kind of good timing. You know, they they passed the budget and really focused a lot, said we are putting a ton of money in this budget into economic development. And then like, you know, a week later, <laughs> the CNBC story comes out. So I, I don't think that CNBC rated us the number one story because they, you know, read the state budget and said, ooh, this looks good. It was much more complicated than that. But uh, it, it was good timing there. They read your reporting. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Thank you, CNBC, for being loyal News and Observer readers. Uh, God, yeah, we've written a lot of budget stories. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, it. In the budget, it it did not have as big of raises uh, for teachers and state employees as Democrats and Governor Cooper wanted. It did not have as aggressive or any actually tax cuts, which some business interests and conservatives wanted. Um, but what it did have was one, a lot of money, several billion dollars socked away into savings, um, which supporters said, you know, this is going to help us in case, you know, there, there is a recession down the line. You know, we're not going to be in the same position where we were in 2009, where, you know, the state had to really make some cuts. Um, we're going to be better prepared. And two, there's something like $1.6 billion, I think. Um, and that might even be a low estimate on how much additional money we're putting towards economic development. Obviously, we had already been planning on spending a lot of money on economic development this year anyways, but we had $6 billion more than expected in revenue because uh, we are a good state for business. Um, and out of that six point whatever billion it was, they took 1.6 billion at least uh, to put towards further economic development plans. And that's everything from, you know, sprucing up little regional airports around the state. Um, you know, since a lot of the, uh, the fancy CEOs like to fly into the small airports uh, instead of flying to, <laughs> to RDU or Charlotte. Um, and, uh, and, you know, obviously it helps, you know, you know, businesses, uh, you know, that aren't located right in the triangle, you know, get products flown around better if they've got better local airports. Um, and then, you know, there's money for JDIG, which is our big tax incentives program that, you know, essentially pays companies to come here. Um, helps them expand utilities, things like that. So uh, here is uh, some talk about that from the uh, the House floor during the budget debate, uh, some Republican budget writers uh, explaining why that is important. Key components of this budget are the investments in economic development. We have $876 million to support major economic development projects. We have $450 million for new economic development transformative projects, $225 million for reimbursement to a recipient of an existing JD transformative project. That means existing businesses are growing. $112.5 million for economic development high yield project. We had $5 million for the great grant program to expand rural broadband access. $38 million for airports. 
$600,000 for dam repairs, $7.8 million for hospitals, $5.6 million for parks and recreation projects. And there you go. And as I mentioned, you know, this budget didn't make any further moves on tax cuts, but last year's budget uh, made a pretty major move and it's going to take the corporate income tax down to zero over the course of the next few years. Uh, Personal income tax rates are also dropping a little bit as well. We already had a fairly low income tax rate, one of the lowest in the country uh, for both people and businesses. Uh, Now it's going to be slightly lower for people and nothing for businesses within a few years, unless, of course, you know, something happens <laughs> to, to make that change in the meantime, uh, and, you know, the next six or seven years before that's slated to completely go away. Um, but, uh, you know, as you mentioned, actually, at the start of this podcast, Danielle, Democrats like Governor Cooper and, you know, also CNBC, I think, uh, you know, validated this as well. Another reason why we rated so good for businesses, because we have this diverse and educated workforce. And, Democrats have been a little concerned about cutting this income, you know, the corporate income taxes, especially, uh, you know, saying, OK, well, you know, what happens to public education? What happens to you know colleges and college funding here when that goes away? Um, obviously, it's impossible to tell yet because we're still having that tax money it hasn't gone away yet. Um, you know, Republicans say, look at us. <laughs> you know, we, we got six and a half billion dollars even after we cut taxes. Um, and so. Uh, you know, I, I think that will continue to be a political fight, uh, even if uh, the the national media says that we've put aside some of our political divisions. Uh, <laughs> I think you will certainly uh, continue to see, you know, political fights over that. You know, how much should we emphasize cutting taxes versus keeping taxes so we can continue funding education? You know, where is that sweet spot? Um, but it uh, it seems that at least for now, uh, we're getting a lot of a lot of credit for it. <laughs> so it's always good for our state. <laughs> All right. Well, any, uh, any, any parting thoughts, uh, from, from up in DC there? Uh, I'd say to keep reading the news and observer to find out what businesses are coming to, uh, to our state. <laughs> um, and from there we should move on to headliner of the week. So what you got for us? Ooh. Um, I've got to say my headliner of the week is wake County. Um, Politico uh, recently wrote a story that said, I think the headline was like, these 20 counties are going to decide who controls Congress. And, you know, on one hand, maybe not great, uh, you know, just for, you know, concepts of democracy that 20 counties around the entire country are, you know, what Congress comes down to. And if you don't live in one of those counties, maybe your vote doesn't matter quite as much. But I guess good news for local readers and listeners is one of those 20 counties was Wake County. Um, it's it's the biggest county here in North Carolina. And specifically, the reason why they put it on the list was because there's such a huge number of unaffiliated voters in Wake County. Now, anyone who really knows about politics knows that even if someone calls themselves an unaffiliated voter, that doesn't really necessarily mean that they're a swing voter. Some of them are. Um, I'm an unaffiliated voter. Um, and, uh, me too. (laughs) Yes. I, I think, I think you'll find that most reporters are, um, and a ton of people are, it's the fastest growing political affiliation in the state. Um, and North Carolina in particular has a ton, but you know, North Carolina or Wake County, um, I should say, you know, even though we consistently vote blue, there's a ton more Republican voters in Wake County than there are in most of the, you know, deep red counties around the state. Um, so, you know, Wake County still matters in Senate races. 
Um, and down south, uh, there's actually a new congressional district that's one of the the few toss-up, truly competitive districts in the state that includes some of the southwest Wake suburbs, uh, again, where I live, and then also Johnson County. Um, that race between Bo Hines and Wiley Nickel is going to be probably pretty close in November. And, you know, uh, you know, Republicans do have, uh, it seems, a pretty decent shot of taking back the House of Representatives in Congress this year. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong on that, Danielle, from your perch up there in D.C. No, you're, you're correct. <laughs> but, you know, if uh, if Wiley Nickel can pull that one off for the Democrats, then, you know, there's just, you know, that's that's one more, uh, you know, seat, uh, you know, keeping it a little bit closer. And then obviously the, the Senate race between Sherry Beasley and Ted Budd is going to be huge. Uh, so Wake County voters, uh, pat yourself on the back. Uh, you're some of the, the few people in the country who get to decide uh, what happens with Congress. Which I'm excited about. I like that it's in our in our home state. Um, I'm going to go more wonky and less political, and I'm going to go with selfie safety because I don't know if you guys saw the story this week. I believe it's out of my family's home country of Sicily. It's where my grandparents are from. And uh, there was an American tourist there who tried to take a selfie in a volcano and he fell into one of the craters there. He is okay, um, or at least, you know, reasonably okay. He's still alive and doing all right. But uh, I thought we were past this danger with selfies phase that we went through for a while. So I'm just reminding the public to be careful when you're taking a selfie and be aware of where you step and what animals are nearby. So that is my headliner of the week. All right. Well, thank you for your uh, volcano-based PSA, Danielle. You're welcome. (laughs) Well, with that, um, I'm Danielle Battaglia here with Will Doran. Thank you guys for listening. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider and sign up for our weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.